It's not Maggie, and it's not me, but we've known Peppa for a very long time, and we just thought, yeah, we're, we're going to introduce her. <laughs> Boy, you are going to be sorry you asked us to do this. <laughs> um, wow, I've known Peppa since it's been 16 years, so I was 10. <laughs> Um, so, gosh, I can't even begin. I was thinking of all these things to say about Peppa, and then I thought I had everything packed down until I was standing up there, and I started to kind of deter. Because um, Peppa, goodness, she has been an incredible friend, a pillar of faith, mentor, and um, a prayer covering that I have never known. She has modeled Christ and his service and his love. Um, years of laughter and joy and just walking through different seasons. Friendship's totally a gift from the Lord. So if this is your first time here at Cornerstone or you've been here for a while and you feel like I need to kind of branch out, I'm telling you, friendship pays dividends. So take that risk because I'm glad I did years ago. I wouldn't be half the person I am had it not been for women like Cheryl and Peppa and Christine and countless others. So thank you for that, Pep. Um, but that's not quite yet done. So I work with Pep in the office, and we have loads of fun. And she's very gifted administratively, fiscally. Everything she puts her hands on, she seems to have a Midas touch. But there's also a side of Peppa that not a lot of people get to see, but I personally am privileged to quite daily. Um, she has a vast love of culture and everything that's going on in the world, from politics to world religions, everything, you name it, she will bring it into play. And sometimes she even brings it into play and she'll add soundtracks of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And then at the end of the day, I too will be singing these songs. But one day, Peppa sent me a text, and I know you're not supposed to answer the phone, but she sent this text to me, and it was this picture. Gals, can you put that up for me? <laughs> See, th this is where childlike faith began in a grown-up world. I, s I got this text message, and I had to get, like, off the road and laugh. I was like, what are you doing in the office? This picture stands on her door, and it reads, since the auto industry went belly up in the current economic tsunami depression, I'd figure I'd stimulate the economy, so I bought me a new set of wheels with my stimulus check. <laughs> so, Peppa, with your tenacity and just your love of the Lord, it's with deep appreciation and gratitude that we announce you and bring you to this platform. But now you have to hear from Cheryl. <laughs> okay, yeah, this mic is warmed up, okay. In fact, it's funny that, you know, Peppa does these kinds of things in the office, and you, uh, during Christmas time, I'll have everyone bring their Christmas stockings. Peppa, in light of the economy, tapes a Ziploc bag up there. She goes, this is my Christmas stocking this year. So anyways, Peppa and I have known each other for, what, like 20, 27 years, okay? I was two. No. <laughs> That's her joke. So we've been, and I'll tell you, she, I can remember when she first walked through the door, and this is before she gave her heart to the Lord, okay? She came in, was it Easter time? Yeah, I think so. She was wearing the shortest shorts ever. She came in, 
She wanted to see if anyone would say anything to her. And guess what? No one did. We just, we just loved on her. So she is, she is a firecracker. In fact, I'll tell you, I just go, Lord, I, I was just like, God, this is like you've got a job because you've got this wild stallion that you've got to, that you've got to harness. But you know what? When she finally just surrendered, when she surrendered, she said, okay, God, you do something with my life here. And he's done amazing things through her life. But I just want to share this because I think Peppa and I, we've been through a lot together. In fact, those of you that know us, we are opposites, okay? We're opposites. And we always say, we're like oil and water. We're like oil and water. But this is what God does because God does something amazing. He says, yeah, you're oil and water, but guess what? You are going to mix together and make Italian salad dressing. And really, that's what he's done. He's done amazing things to us. He says, you know, I'm going to take the oil and water, put a little spice in there, and you guys are going to be able to do something through your friendship. And so it's, um, we've shared a lot of life together. We've, I remember when she gave her heart to the Lord. I can remember we raised our children together. We've been in ministry together. Um, and, of course, with friends, we always know each other's little secrets, right? So I, I want to share a story because I've got lots of stories. I could be up here for like an hour. But, okay, I'm going to share this one story. And this was on our 40th birthday, okay? And I decided, okay, well, I knew that she had a, a fear of heights. So I decided we're going to do something radical. We're going to do something radical for her 40th birthday. So I got together a group of friends, and we went and we kidnapped her at 4 o'clock in the morning. We blindfolded her. We, uh, and, and of course, you know, if you know Peppa, she's just asking a thousand, first of all, she was resisting. We go, this is your birthday, don't resist, now just come with us, right? So we went in the car, and she's like asking, where are we going? How long is it going to take there? Where are you going? How come you're doing this, right? I'm going, this is driving me crazy, you know? But she was going crazy because she didn't know what we were doing. So about an hour later, we arrived to our destination, and um, we, we made sure that we got her in the right spot because we wanted her to be totally surprised what we were going to do. And we had her stand there, and then we took off her blindfold, and this is what she saw. <laughs> she, her, I wish you could have seen her face. Because if you're afraid of heights, you could probably, you know, know what she was feeling. She, her mouth just dropped. She was like, no, no, no. And we go, yeah, 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 you're going up, you're going up. And you know what? After a while, she just, again, she just said, okay, all right, let's go. And we had a ball. And I think just because we're all around her and everything, she felt okay. But it was fun. It was fun. So she, it was fun. <laughs> So she conquered her fear. We went up in a hot air balloon, and it was really, really fun. So, but in all seriousness, you know, she has been through a lot. And I would say in this past couple years, um, it has been probably the, the roughest season for her. In fact, there were times that I was really worried. But there's something about Peppa that I have a great admiration and respect for is that um, her faith in God begins to, to rise and she begins to surrender herself to the God and then God begins to do something amazing through her. So her faith in who he is has always been an inspiration to me. And it reminded me of the conversation that Jesus and Peter were having when Peter, um, you know, just 
went through a rough time and he failed. But you know what? Jesus said to him, you know, Peter, um, the adversary, he wants to sift you like wheat. But, you know, I've prayed for you. And after you've been restored, I want you to go and strengthen those around you. And this is why I just really believe that Peppa in this next season of her life has been, I've been floored at what God has been doing in and through her life. And it really, she is a miracle from the time that she walked in and a double miracle as she's walking into the second half of her life, um, just like a powerhouse. But anyways, you know what? She has a story to tell. I'm going to sit here and tell her story. So she's, I have been waiting for this moment. I want you to come up here and welcome Peppa. Thanks. My message is over. Do you mind, Shannon, if I kick this over? And kick this over in case I need it? Well, I made it through, and I celebrated my 47th birthday. And Ashley Cloud, I can still outskate you. We have proof on film. It was a skateboard, by the way. First of all, I wanted to say thank you, and um, did you guys have enough to eat and coffee? I switched to decaf, so... um, but I have enough energy to, to share, to keep you guys awake. And if not, I'll just crank up the air conditioner. Uh, so let's begin. I, I, um, I look around and I see, um, you know, I have a loud voice. Is this too loud? I look around and I see uh, a lot of you have your own unique and special stories. And you also represent a large part of the San Francisco Bay Area, as far as culturally, ethnically, and I know for a fact a lot of you are from all over the world. We're looking at South America, South Africa, Australia, China, everywhere. You name it, you're here this morning. But what's interesting is that we women, no matter where we're from, what our background is, We all struggle with the same issues and life-changing events. It may look different for all of us, and we all have different thresholds of how to deal with the issues. And maybe for some of us, we, we want to deal with it, but we're not quite sure know how to. And for some of us, we just take it, put it in compartment number 50, and move on. I get it, because I've been there, been there, done that. And um, I know that this, the last couple of years, hasn't been easy for a lot of you. With unemployment, and you've gone through your savings, you're trying to find a job, you're doing the best that you can, you're going back to school. I pray that before you leave this morning, that God's spirit will encourage you more than you've ever been encouraged. And I'm not just speaking in words. I'm speaking life. I pray that my story this morning will not just be an inspiration, because inspiration is just a temporary, momentous thing. You know, it's, oh, I'm inspired. Okay, do something about it. So 
I do pray that it's more than an inspiration, that it will activate a life change in you. And I pray that that life change will actually take place before you leave this room. It's not easy for me to be up here. I mean, I mean, I used to do this. I used to speak, and it was, that was easy at the time. But I've been in the back of the. If you've been to hit, listening to Pastor Terry's message, I've been back in the wilderness for two and a half years, and now I'm coming out. And what I'm going to share this morning is totally different than what I I'm used to. So, if you see me picking up a Kleenex and dabbing it, that's that's out of the ordinary for me. So just bear with me this morning. Um, and there's actually boxes of Kleenex along the aisle if you need them, too. <laughs> With that said, if you could post the overhead, the postcard, um, growing deeper, moving beneath the surface, I said to myself, hmm, there's only one way to do that. We live in such a superficial world. And I thought to myself, well, if we keep living on the surface, we'll just survive. And I believe this morning that the Lord wants you to live deeper and be rooted and not just survive. Because I believe he's a God that can give you life and that life more abundantly beneath the surface. And with that said, I do still believe in miracles. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I believe in miracles. It's not just a Hallmark movie. It actually happens today and tomorrow and yesterday. And you know why I believe it? Because God's word says it. In Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly about all we could ask or think or imagine according to the power that works in us. So yes, I do believe in miracles, and I hope that you will too. And with that said, we're going to show a short video clip, and I'll be right back up. soccer player for Stanford. When I grow up, I want to be a policeman, a farmer, and I want to be a firefighter, and a uh, scientist. Huh? When I grow up, I want to become a pastor.
taken 14 years ago on that little matrix digital tape. So it got converted over to the, that new equipment they have now. <laughs> so take a moment and complete, if you don't mind, the question. When I grow up, I want to be. Just like the videotape. When I grow up, I want to be. What did you want to be when you grew up? I want you to look to your neighbor left and right and share that. Go ahead. When I grow up, I want to be. Everybody wanted to be something. Go on. Doesn't matter. Wow. Okay, okay. Did you want to be a hundred things? Wow. Time out, time out, time out. <laughs> I said, what did you want to be when you grew up? Not all the things you wanted to be with. Okay, never mind. <laughs> all right, now you, can, now you can interact a little bit more. Di, you've got your paper and pad. Um, another question, call out some child like attributes. Go ahead. No one has a wrong answer. Just throw it out. One at a time because it's going to be written down. Sense of humor. Trusting. Innocent. Honesty. No fear. Curiosity. Joyful. Fearless. Shy. Forgiving. Accepting, Humbly. resilient, Humbly. open, open. Confident. confident. What was trusting? Joyful, Joyful. unconditional love, unconditional love. Stubborn. stubborn. I wasn't stubborn. None of us were stubborn. Idealist. I, whoa, whoa, hey. Forgiving. Forgiving. Dependent. Resilient. Sassy. Sassy. Hold on. Is there enough room on the piece of paper? Who's writing? Okay. Go ahead. Couple more. Uninhibited. Naive. A sponge. Is that what you said? A sponge? Okay. A sponge. All right. Selfish. Okay. Selfish. Oh, that's right. Selfish. Energetic. Adventurous, no curious, curious. Invincible. excuse me, invincible. invincible. Messy, strong. <laughs> okay, <laughs> messy and strong, period. All right, there's a reason I, I, I had you call that out and we're gonna use that later. All right, here we go. Um, my turn, when I was a child, I came to San Francisco when I was seven years old. Oh, excuse me, eight years old. It was in 1970, and half the room wasn't born yet. Um, <laughs> there I am, eight years old. I was uh, at the Fisherman's Wharf, didn't want to leave. I fell in love with the city. Uh, my family and I were vacationing here, and I just, I just fell in love with San Francisco. And years later, after graduating high school, at the age of 17, 
I left. My family, my siblings, my friends, and my beautiful island of Guam. And I left 5,800 miles to go to college in Oregon. And there I am under the G. <laughs> I was under the G there. It's on the equator. And um, yeah, I left everything behind, just like a lot of you did. Was it easy? No, but it's what you had to do at the time. But OK, you can take that off now. They all know where it's at. Thank you. <laughs> so while in college in Oregon, one semester break, I drove down and I met a friend named Carrie. Uh, she was on that hot air balloon picture. Uh, she invited me to church. It was this church. And at the time, church was just not for me. I didn't want anything to do with church. I want nothing to do with religion. I did not believe in God. I thought it was just this superficial figure out there, and was not relatable, uh, unacceptable, or unaccepting, and just couldn't relate. And it was just a made-up superstition. So no, I did not believe in God at all. And uh, despite our polar differences, we just kept in touch. I just, there was something about her that I loved, and we just stayed in touch. Years later, I did relocate to San Francisco, and I did give my life to Christ. I got married. I got a great job. We had already had a timeline to when we were going to start a family. I was very precision. Like, they, like Maggie said, I have a plan. I'm a very planned person. I have a grid in my head. I'm a thinker, so I go through the checklist. So I had everything together, and, then, and I had a local church. Cornerstone. I thought I was all set. Life was great. Life was good. But really, life just happened. And on February 13, 2007, I'm working on the third floor. It was our old office. And I get a phone call in the middle of the afternoon. And it's my husband. He usually calls when he's going out of town on a business trip, and we just check in with each other. So we exchanged some words, and I said, I love you. I'll see you when you get back. Um, Saturday, you're getting back, right? Yes. No. Uh, we'll, when you get back, we'll see you, and uh, the kids and I will see you, and we'll go out to dinner, OK? I'm not coming back. You're not coming back? No. I'm divorcing you. We were married 21 and a half years. And the rug was literally pulled from under me. I was not expecting it. I was totally blindsided. So I'm sitting there. And because I'm on the Myers-Briggs thinker and judger, <laughs> I just said to myself, I've got a project. I just got to finish this. And um, this is a bad joke. It's a bad joke. This isn't real. This isn't happening. And so I go on with my work. And then Pastor Skip comes in, and he's crying. And he says, I'm really, really sorry. And I'm looking at him like, come on, guys. This is a cruel joke. Stop it. This is a really cruel joke. So I go out to the other office to go see Pastor Terry. He's not there. I don't know where he is. He was just there a moment ago. 
he went to go take the phone call from my husband saying goodbye. So there we are. I don't have much time to go into all the details. So what I did was I got into the car after I was done with my project. I got into the car and I was still saying to myself, this is not real. This is a joke. I'm going to wake up from a bad dream. You know, you always watch those shows where it's like, it's a bad dream. So this is a bad dream. This is a really crude joke. I mean, these guys joke with me all the time, but this is like the worst joke that's ever been put on me, all right? It's, it's not even funny anymore. So I go home. Right before I pick up my daughter from school, I open up the door, and reality just slapped me on the face. The house was half empty. All the oil paintings on the wall were gone. There was just studs on the wall. I went to every room, things were taken, and I go into my cabinet and all my financials, everything are gone, everything. And I went into a state of shock and I didn't know what to do. I just knew that I just broke down and cried and said, how am I gonna tell my kids? My daughter is at school, my son is at school, He's at soccer practice, and he's going to come home any minute, and, I, and I'm a mess, and I'm breaking down. I'm just crying, and I was paralyzed. I, I didn't know what to do. It's not like you get divorced every day, you know. There's no manual. So Cheryl picked up, Cheryl ended up meeting me, and long story short, my son was dropped over at Pastor Terry's house, he went and told him the news. They come to the house, and we spent the rest of the evening just grieving together. It was a really tough time. And I remember getting really angry. Christians aren't supposed to get angry. Remember, we're supposed to love each other and not be angry? Well, I was angry, and you don't want to hear the things I had to say. <laughs> I just remember kicking everything. We had this garage that we converted into library, and I just remember kicking everything. And, and here's Pastor Terry, the holy man. And I'm saying all kinds of obscenities. That's stupid. <laughs> How could he do this? I can't believe it. You're a Christian. You're a God of man. You're a man of God. I can, you. Okay. It's okay to get angry. It's okay to let it out. All right? Just don't stay there too long. The next day. February 14th, 2007. Our eyes are swollen from crying. We're exhausted. We didn't sleep. My son was only two weeks away from his 18th birthday and a month and a half from graduating high school. And he had already been picked up from a college for a soccer scholarship. I'll never forget that morning. I'm driving him up to school. We're sitting in the car. And I just turn over to him. And I said, and I held his hand, and I said, happy Valentine's Day, son. I love you. Silence. Then he just broke down and cried. It would be the last time I would ever see him cry like that. And on top of it, he had to focus because he had a championship game after school that day. He also had a lot going on. My daughter, she was turning 16 that year, and she was ready to enter high school. 
and my daughter is a child with learning disabilities. So <laughs> she needs assistance in high, during her school time, and we usually all chip in and help her with her homework and her projects. So as you can see, I had a lot on my plate. And I will never forget the image of my daughter sitting on her recliner in the library next to her father's recliner with a box of Kleenex on her lap, looking at her father's picture all night long. And for me, I will never forget that day, February 14th, when I go into the mailbox by the end of the day and I pull out this envelope and it's my divorce papers. Oh, what a day. I'll never forget Valentine's Day, that's for sure. Overnight, my life and my children's would be changed forever because of one person's actions and decision, one. We were all affected, and including my family, my siblings, my extended family, everyone, and my friends, and the church, because they knew him, we all went into a state of shock. So, yes, because he served me, I had to get a lawyer. My assets were frozen. I had no cash. I knew I was probably going to lose my house. The, one, the house that I thought that I would grow old and raise my grandchildren in. And I knew I'd have to sell or give away most of my personal belongings. I just knew it. No one had to tell me. It was, I knew it. So here we are, experiencing traumatic stress, shock, numb, confused, sad, and angry. And I still had to keep it together. I had to function and deal with the questions that were not being answered. Why? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do it? And how am I supposed to take care of all of us? This just happened overnight. I had to advocate for my son and intervene with his academic team. I mean, the dean, the counselor, the teachers. I mean, for the next one month and a half before he graduated, I had to talk to them every day. Just stay on it because I got a notice that he was staring out the window at every class just staring out and not participating or doing the work. I had to advocate for my daughter and meet with the entire educational um, academic board because as a special ed student, we need to sit down and strategize modification and support for her for high school. And that takes hours. This is like that same week I had to do all of this. I mean, after several weeks, it was really getting difficult for me, and I was overwhelmed. And I remember the enormity of the weight and the responsibility and the pain that had just been put on me all at once. I, I just couldn't bear it anymore. And my family and friends, they were all stumbling in the dark as well. Nobody knew what to do. So guess what? <laughs> I went into the next stage. I fell into depression, anger. I did not eat. And all the other things you could think about when 
trauma hits you or you know of trauma hitting somebody else. And what really sucked, is this recorded? <laughs> was that there was no emergency guide. There was no plan A or B. And I'm a strategist, and I like to plan. I have A, B, and C. I have three options if the first two don't work. And there is always, there's always an answer to something. There's always. There is. There is. So I go into the next stage. I eventually shut down. I just couldn't take it anymore. I am a Christian. I am filled with the Lord. I have God in my life. But in your humanness, you go through all of this. And sometimes the weight of life, especially when you've been hurt by somebody at that level, you just shut down. So I got into my car. It was a dark and rainy night. And I contemplated suicide. I even left a text to my friends and family. And I said goodbye. And I sent it. And I turned the phone off. I've never done that before. You know, I'm pretty strong. But even the strongest of us have our breaking points. So here I am all grown up. And I'm starting over at 45. I lost everything. I lost my dignity. I felt so alone. I felt ashamed. I felt vulnerable. I felt helpless. And I felt lost. My life and my children were just stripped of our home, our financial security, our father, our husband, our friend, and our future was unknown. Several months later, I had to sell the house. So I sold my house and gave most of the items away that I couldn't sell. My children and I were displaced overnight in a strange place a new residence. I didn't even know how long we were going to be there for. I was terrified. And I'm not talking about terrified like that hot air balloon, like, yeah, that's terrifying if you're afraid of heights, which I am. But it was a, it was a terror at a whole other level that my soul had never experienced. It was a fear that just gripped me. It gripped my heart, it gripped my soul, it gripped my mind. It just, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but it was such, such a deep level that I, I, it freaked me out. And so I slumped into a futon. Yep, I had a futon. Remember, I got rid of everything. I slumped onto my futon on the floor with a lamp just by my side. And I remember grabbing my pillow, and I laid in a fetal position, and I just cried, and I cried, and I cried all night long. Have you ever done that? And I said, Mom, Daddy, where are you? Where are my friends? Where's my family? 
And God, where are you? Do you even exist? Please help take this pain away. Please help me. And there was only silence. There was silence for a long time. And then all of a sudden, a still, small voice spoke to my heart and whispered words of comfort. And these were the words that came. Psalm 91, 5 and 6. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. That held me over for the next couple of months. Barely a year had passed when I started to see a glimmer of hope. Things started looking a little better. I was still crying. I was still angry. I still felt like I was walking in the dark. And then the economy tanked. My landlord had to sell the place that I was living in, and we were displaced once again. So here I was set back once again. It was like, I'm just treading, and now I'm like bobbing. You know, you're treading, you know, you do that, right? You're treading in life, you're just treading, and then something, and then you're down under again, and then you gotta pull yourself up again, and then calamity hits you, and then you're down under again. That gets tiring after a while, right? Well, that's what happened. I was just treading, and then I got hit with a, with the debris, and then I had to pull myself up again. And then depression, depression, anger, and my crying started all over again. It just, like the wound just opened up again. So here I was, I was sitting in the car, and I, and I remember saying to myself, I am so sick and tired of crying. I'm not a crier, and there's nothing wrong with crying, but this is ridiculous. I've been crying nonstop for a whole year. This has got to stop. I mean, don't, who are doctors and scientists in here? Don't the, the, the tear glands stop after a while? I mean, are they, I mean, you know, the fluids empty out after a while? Well, no, they don't. <laughs> I, was, I remember being tired of uh, just being in a rut. Like I said, I was tired of crying. I was tired of being in the same place. It's been a year. And I said to myself, there's got to be something more. There has got to be something more to take me to another level to help me to move forward. Um, I needed a new ointment. I needed a new remedy. I, but what? What? Nobody seems to know what to do. Um, so I went onto the internet, and I researched support groups for divorce. Nothing. There was nothing. And then I reached further, and then I found them. But I would have to go drive to Lafayette, or I'd have to go drive to Sacramento, or wherever, right? And then I did find a program called Divorce Care. And we launched it here after I had gone through it. So we now offer that. And it's a 13-week session for those going through separation and divorce. And even if you have been remarried, it's a great program to go through. So let's move us forward two years later. 
when I asked you to share with one another, when I grow up, I want to be, <laughs> I am certain none of you said, when I grow up, I want to be brokenhearted. <laughs> when I grow up, I want to be abandoned, betrayed, alone, lonely, rejected, discarded like an old rag at 45, broke. When I grow up, I want to be surrounded by setbacks and failures, stuck in a rut. When I grow up, I want to be living in fear, without peace, without hope. And when I grow up, I want to be without a future. Don't tell me any of you guys wrote that. <laughs> so two years later, I went another step further in the healing process. I said, okay, Lord, it's been two years. See, I like these markers, because like I said, I'm, so I have these markers. I want to get to the next level of healing. These tools are great. The friends, the family, church, the messages, great. But I want more. I want to get healed completely. What does that look like? It was right there. So, I'm driving home, just an ordinary day, and it was this February. I felt, oh, actually, no, I had just left this building from a meeting I had, and I was under the freeway, the DeBose freeway, on the way to our offices at Candlestick Park. And I'm just like cranking up the tune, you know, there's traffic everywhere. And I think, I don't even ask me what radio station because uh, it might stumble some of you. But anyway, so I'm <laughs> cranking it up and I'm just like, woo, yes, I feel happy. I feel so happy. I feel more than happy. I feel joy. And for those of you who don't know the difference, happiness is based on your surroundings and joy is inside and is not affected by your surroundings. So I said, oh man. I have not felt this joy in years. <sighs> I feel good. So I'm on my car. Yes. Yes. And I'm feeling really good. And then that still small voice spoke to my heart, just like it did with, the, with that night of fear. This time it was different. And he said, say it. Say it. Say what? <laughs> okay, Therese, you know what I'm asking you to do. Just say it. Okay, this was serious. No more joking around. It was God, okay? God was in the room, in my car. Say it. I don't want to say it. Put away your grown-up world and come to me as a child and say it. Okay, Lord, I forgive him. But he's a jerk and a blankety blank for what he did to me and the kids. <laughs> and the Lord. And the Lord said, yes, he is. <laughs> Woo 
why. I felt good. And then, for some reason, that was the longest red light I've ever, ever sat on. <laughs> and the Lord said again, in that still small voice, say it one more time. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and power is released. All right. I forgive him, but he's still a jerk and a blankety blank for what he did to me and the kids. You are free. And with that, I was so elated, and I'm like just on a high, and no, I didn't snort a lot of cocaine or anything that day. I was like, I've been clean and sober for 30 years. So we started driving down, and I just felt really, really good. I was on a high. I was on a high. And then, a week later, I'm coming home, and where I live now is 200 yards from the ocean in Pacifica on the pier. So you exit, and there's a one-way. The ocean is in front of you. You have to go straight. You know, you got to make a U-E, right? So I get home, and I see his vehicle. He's dropping off my daughter for my custody days, which is a whole other issue, for my custody time. So I'm thinking, <gasps> OK, I have not seen or spoken to him at all in two years. So. Well, dude, you had nothing to talk about. <laughs> you had 21 and a half years to talk about it, okay? So, stop sign, one way. See the vehicle. Oh, my daughter's, oh, but the vehicle's there. Nope, I'm not gonna see or talk to him. So I'm gonna make a left or a right, because you could do that, you know, on the opposing streets. And I decided, and then immediately, that still small voice comes in again. You will go straight, and you will acknowledge him. So, with childlike faith, I press the accelerator, and I drive up, not thinking how I'm supposed to acknowledge him. It wasn't like clear, just <laughs> acknowledge him. So I drive up. <laughs> I stop in front of his vehicle. He's in the park in the driver's seat, and I turn, and I just go. And I drive off. And then I pull up into the carport, and I said, yes! I'm free. I'm so over you. Yes, thank you. Two years later, I am free. So I'm thinking, yes, yes, Lord. I'm totally healed. This is great. This is great. Yes, I can move on with my life. I can start dating again. And no, not yet. But anyway. <laughs> I used to do all this, and yes, yes, yes. Okay, then God wasn't finished yet. It's summertime, so a couple, of, couple months later, I go to pick up my daughter uh, after summer camp, and I pull up to the lot, and I'm thinking, okay, what are we going to do? Da, 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 da. And then I see I have great peripheral vision. You know, I was a basketball player, so I can see. And I see his vehicle pulling up to the side, like 10 yards away from me. And I'm thinking, what's he doing here? Why is he here? Is, did I make a mistake? Is it not my time to pick her up? Is it, it, did I make a mistake in the schedule? I never make a mistake in the schedule. <laughs> I've got five calendars, and they're all synced up. <laughs> and I'm thinking, 
okay, just go home. Just go home. It's right down the street. Just roll down the hill and go get the calendar. Oh, don't be ridiculous, Therese. So I'm having this conversation with myself. Just don't be ridiculous. Just why don't you just wait here and wait till she gets out and see whose car she goes to. <laughs> And then that still small voice came into my heart again and said, you will get out of the car and you will walk over to his vehicle and you will ask him, whose turn is it to pick her up? So my grown up world is going through the grid and I just said, you know what, just open the door. So like a child, just open the door, get out, don't think about it, go over. So I go over, remember, I haven't seen or spoken to him in two years. I go over, and he turns. He's a little startled. <laughs> turns. I guess it was your day, not mine, huh? And he smiles. He wears these, he was wearing these uh, blue tainted Oakley glasses, so I couldn't see his eyes. And then that still small voice spoke to my heart again. And I leaned into the car and I gave him a hug. And he hugged me back around my waist and we just held very tightly for what seemed like a second life. <laughs> so, I start sobbing. I don't know why. For you psychologists out there, you can talk to me afterwards. But I start sobbing and really hard. You know when you see a sad movie you're, and you don't want the theater to hear that you're so <laughs> crying. And then I let go and I looked down and I said, I'll see you later. And I walked away. I cried for seven days after that. Like I said, I don't quite understand it, but I think I was cleaning myself out of that residue of hanging on subliminally to him, and, and it was part of the healing process. Um, and I was like, okay, Lord, can I move on now? Are there any more lessons you want to give me that you're just going to throw my way that you're not going to prepare me for? Because I really don't like to be unprepared. <laughs> no. He had another lesson. August of this year, I went to my first Hawaiian festival, which I miss every year because the Hawaiians forget to tell me when it is. I'm an island girl. <laughs> supposed to tell me when it is. <laughs> so I missed. So this is the first time I was able to make it. So I went after church. Yes, I did go to church, and then I went, OK? So <laughs> after church, I went with my daughter. And it was great. I only went for the food. You know, I could care less about everything else because I grew up around it, right? I just wanted the food. So uh, I, remember, I remember walking around and kind of missing it. You know, I do miss the sun. I do miss the surf. And I definitely miss the weather because I'm always so cold. I mean, it's 65 degrees and I'm like this, <laughs> you know. But so we go there and we're just going through the merchandise. And my daughter goes into the t-shirt shop. And she says, Mommy. Do you mind if we give, if we get Daddy a T-shirt? <laughs> so of course my grown-up world saying, I'm not freaking paying thirty-five dollars for that. <laughs> I'm not spending a dime on him. 
let alone a island t-shirt. He's a fourth generation San Franciscan. He doesn't deserve an island t-shirt. He's just a wannabe. So anyway, this was all going through my head. And I literally did say, um, for a split second there, I said, I'm not spending a dime on this guy. Why should I? Why should I? And my daughter looks at me with her big brown eyes. Please, mommy, could we get something for daddy? All right. So I get the shirt for him. Then we're walking along. We're going to the exit. And right before that, she's, she notices something. And she said, mom, could we also get something for her? <laughs> Thank goodness I didn't have a Glock on me. <laughs> a Glock is a semi-automatic. <laughs> <Don't>... <laughs> I'm not advocating. I don't even like guns, and I'm afraid of them, OK? So just, just to clear that up. <laughs> so. I said, um, I don't have any more cash. Oh, but there's a Versateller right there. <laughs> no, I don't use debit machines that are not attached to the bank. I don't use freestanding machines. But why? We all know. I just don't. Well, OK, so this is what she does. She tells me, well, you gave me some money before we got here, and you said I could do whatever I wanted with it. So I'd like to use that money to buy her something. I'm a grown-up, and I felt like this. And I said, go ahead. And I had to put a smile. That was really tough. But I put a smile, and we moved on. That day, I realized that I verbally said, I forgive him, that I actually acknowledged him, showing I forgave him, that I hugged him, showing that I forgave him, and I sacrificed my finances, which he's paying me for <laughs> on the back end. It's called alimony and child support, if you don't know. So, so I, I get him something, all right? OK. It's done. I've conquered it. Well, I haven't completely. I'm 90% 90, 90 there. I'm 90% there. Just this past month, I picked up a mail. I picked up my mail, and in it was a postcard from New York City. It was addressed to my daughter, and it says, we are having so much fun. Wish you could be here. Someday, I'll bring you with me. Take care, and I will see you when I get back. Love, Daddy, and dish. Dish, dish. The wound just reopened again. And I'm, I start crying again. I was like, man, what is this all about? I thought I overcame. I thought I was done with this. But you know what? It takes time and it takes incremental steps to really have arrived, you know? So that's why I say I'm only 90% there. And I realize that forgiveness is ongoing. 
And it says it in Matthew 18.21 on the overhead. At that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or a sister who hurts me? Seven? Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. Therese, Peppa, ladies, friends, forgiveness is ongoing. And forgiveness is the remedy when applied heals all your wounds, every single one of them. It is the remedy to healing all your wounds. And I say that because some of us have moved on, but we've never quite dealt with it, as I mentioned earlier. Some of us are in the process of moving on, and some of us, we have not dealt with it at all. We have not spoken to our mother in 20 years. We have disowned our father because for whatever reason, and we all have our closets, all right? Um, someone said something wrong to us or treated us poorly, so we totally disconnected. And if you're a compartmentalizer like I am, it's easy to do that. It's like a dude. It's like they can compartmentalize. So when you see a guy, doesn't that affect him? No, he's a guy. They compartmentalize things. We can do it too. We just don't want to admit it. But what happens in that case is you stay stuck. You're 10, then you're 20 years old, and then you're 30, and then you're 40, and you're still at the same place. But like I mentioned earlier today, God does not want us to stay in the same place. He doesn't want us to be living on the surface. He wants us to get to the next level. He wants us to be rooted and grounded in him. And when you're rooted and grounded in him, he will give you the answers to your questions. And he will give you a roadmap of how to get out of certain situations. So yes, ladies, the wound does reopen, but it gets smaller and smaller. The scar tissues will always be there but the recovery time is getting quicker and quicker. Do I still have moments of sadness and heartache? Yep. Do I still have moments of depression? Yep. Do I still have moments of worry about my future? Yep. Do I miss having a companion? Dude, yep. <laughs> Do I still have moments of sadness when my daughter has to leave overnight for days of custody? Yes. And do I miss my son who has been sent back by this? He has left the country twice to different parts of the world to run away and escape his father and the reality of what happened. He's gone as of this morning, he's still gone. So it, is, it has and it is affecting all of us. But just as the wounds get smaller and smaller, the worry and doubt start to lessen. I can honestly say that I can now sleep peacefully. I, I can. Because I know that I am a child of Father God, and I know that he will take care of me. And I know he will take care of you. 
And maybe some of you this morning are having a hard time hearing that because it's here. But open your heart and get it from here to here. Well, here I am, 39 years later. Can we bring that up? 39 years later, <laughs> on the same spot on Jackson Street as when I first arrived at the Fisherman's Wharf at age eight. And I can honestly say I made it this far because of the Lord. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care your background. I don't care your class. You cannot do it on your own. No matter, even the strongest of us here will fall. And that is why it's so important to build community, to have community, to have friends. And if you, I know that many of you just even arrived this year from Southern California, from out of state. Make friends, make new friends. All you have to do is ask. Say, Lord, I don't know anyone. Bring someone to me and he'll do it. He will. I've seen it happen and it's happened to me. When you go through trauma or crisis, don't isolate yourself. The first thing, the first defense is to isolate, to pull back, lock the doors, and don't answer phone calls, don't answer emails. Just everybody leave me alone and get away. That's understandable. But don't stay stuck there for very long. People want to help you. And not only that, I realized that, you know, we are all brilliant and accomplished women, and we're used to taking care of ourselves. But don't be ashamed or afraid to ask for help. Please don't. Because there are women in here that want to help, but they don't know what you need. And they don't know how to help you. And the tendency for people that aren't going through trauma is they pull back. If you lock up yourself and you don't want to talk to anybody, then what happens is then they just kind of leave you alone. And sometimes that leaving you alone could be a day, that ends up a week, that ends up months. And girls that aren't going through trauma or crisis right now, please don't do that to your friends. Be there by your side. Don't just say, oh, I pray that God be with you. No, be the God with them. Walk by their side. And if they don't answer your phone calls, by golly, just go down to their house and just put something on the front of the door. I don't care what. Just don't leave them isolated that long. And I'm just sharing from what I went through. Because when I told you that I almost committed suicide, if it hadn't been for the love of the friends and family that surrounded me and for a God that loves me more than any man or person could ever love me and you, I probably wouldn't have made it through. So in conclusion, in my grown-up world, I want to be a thankful person. To all my friends who walked alongside me during that difficult time, thank you. Thank you for buying me groceries. Thank you for the gifts. Thank you for the cards and emails. And thank you for helping me pack.
to my siblings and my niece and nephews. And my little sister is the drummer. And my other sister came up from Cambria last night on a train. Thank you for being here. I want to thank you guys for being in my life and walking alongside me, even though you didn't know what to do either. And you just were there for me, just, just to even just to listen. And I want to thank the Cornerstone community who accepted me in my raw and my ugly state. And trust me, you never heard a Christian curse? You should have met me two years ago. <laughs> but thank you for being there with me during my brutal years. You gave me the space and the time to go through what I needed to go through. I want to thank you for that. And to Father God, who loves me and you more than any human being could ever, and who will never abandon me or you. In my grown-up world, I want to be a restorer of peace. I want to be reconciled, which means to make right, with certain family, friends, and members whom I have, who I may have had a misunderstanding with, and they with me. And there are some of you in this room who need to reconcile with some of your family and with some of your friends. And that's what God wants you to do in order to move to the next level with him. He also wants you to be reconciled, to make right with certain persons he has put in your heart, even though you've made it a habit of brushing that away. Nope, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to. Nope, nope, they hurt me first. They hurt me first. Nope, nope, they hurt me more than I hurt them. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Forgive. 70 times 7. In my grown-up world, I want to be a forgiving person. Even to those who hurt me when I did not deserve it. But I also want to be forgiven by any of you that I've hurt. And most people that hurt, they really don't know what they're doing. If my husband really knew what he was doing, he wouldn't have done what he did. Because in Luke 23, 24, on the overhead, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he's up there on the cross. He had just been crucified. And he's looking down at humanity. After they spat on him, they teased him. Everything that they could do to a human being, they did to him. And yet he could look down with love upon humanity and say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. There are people in your lives that have hurt you, even when you were a child. And there are people in your lives that have hurt you now. And there will be people in your lives that will hurt you in the future. But what God is challenging us all to do this morning is to forgive. Now, it doesn't mean you forgive right now because I'm imploring you to. No, nope. as a matter of fact, when I went through divorce care, chapter 12 was on forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> and I told my facilitator that I would not be showing up next week for that study. 
And she looked at me, and I was waiting. If she responded in the legalistic way that I thought she was going to respond, I was not coming back for lesson 13. And she looked at me, and she said, we all forgive when we're ready, and we all have the time. There is a timing that we forgive, and God does move in our heart. He prepares us to get to that place where we're ready to forgive. So you know what? I used to hear the scriptures, oh, forgive. Oh, God loves you. Forgive. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cliche, cliche, cliche. Or, um, you know, you're a Christian. You ought to forgive. <sighs> yeah, I know. I forgive you, Brenda. Okay, we good now? Okay. <laughs> I'm talking about forgiveness that comes from the soul, not from your mouth, not just from your mouth, but from your soul. And that only comes from God. That only comes from his spirit. And that's why I am able to forgive and forgive and forgive. It is ongoing. And you will still get periodic daggers in the heart from that person or persons. But you know what? As time moves on, you get stronger. You start to just water off a duck's back. And you realize, oh my gosh. I am getting healed because I'm able to forgive much quicker and I really mean it and I can move on. And that's where the Lord wants all of you to be at. So the cliche, let go and let God, that doesn't really work. It's let go of your grown-up world, your analytical ways let it go and come to Father, Abba Father, Daddy, Papa, like a child. We mentioned all the child attributes, vulnerable. Come vulnerable before God. Come trusting before God. Come innocently before God. That's the posture that will start the process of healing. In my grown-up world, I want to be, as a child before God, running to Father God 24-7 with anything small or big. His word says that if he knows the sands of the sea, the number of the sands of the sea and the numbers of hair on your head, it's in the Bible, look it up, then there is nothing too insignificant for him to take care of. You know why? Because he's your papa. He's my papa. He's your dad. He's my dad. He's Father God, and he knows everything about you. He knew your name before you were even born. He knows everything about you. So faith, what is faith? There's about a thousand scriptures of faith. But faith in its simplistic form is this. For you feelers, faith is not a feeling. For you thinkers, faith is not a thought. It is 
a forward movement into the trusting arms of Father God. That is faith. It is the forward movement into the trusting arms of Father God. And faith in his word is your guidebook and is your emergency kit for life. It's the word. Dig it. Read it. Memorize it. Get together with a group of women. Do studies on it. We read so many books. You have business books. You've got political magazines. You've got all the, uh, what you call that thing? The people magazines, all the, uh, what do they call that? What's that genre? The tabloids. We all read them because we're standing at the grocery line. <laughs> but how much do we read the Word of God? Estimate how much time you actually read the Word of God versus all your other reading material on top of all the stuff on the social network and the Twitter and the Facebook and blah, 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 blah. It's just interesting to assess the time that you actually put yourself in the Word of God and all the other stuff that really, it's all superficial. And like I said, it's living on the surface. You want to get strong in the Lord, read the Word, and you will go deep. So I'll leave you with this. He will guide you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He will fix and heal the wounds in your life. Why? Because he said so in his word. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He will provide for you. For those of you that are unemployed, you have just depleted your savings, You've gotten help from your family and friends, but they are now unemployed. He will provide for you. How? By the people sitting in this room. Let your request be made known unto God. You need help? Please, let us all know. And we'll do our best to try to reach out and help each other. He will protect you. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. He will give you a future and a new purpose. And I have a small group that I attend, and Susan Autry is our, is our group leader, and we just finished the book. What's the name, Susan, of the book? Pathway to Purpose. There was all this purpose book, so I, could, I just want to make sure it was right. Pathway to Purpose. It was a great book. And for those of you who don't know your purpose, dude, it's not just getting up early in the morning, going to work and hating your job, and then making a lot of money, and then coming back home, and then, can't wait, it's Friday. <laughs> There's more to life than that. He will give you an eternal purpose. Because, and this is probably some of your favorite verses in your Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, 
They are plans of good and not of disaster. To give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. He will give you, he will help you not just to survive, but to be blessed, to have a life more abundantly. What does that look like? Like I said, life, energy. I switched to decaf. I don't need caffeine to keep me alive. I've got the Lord in me that keeps me alive, keeps me going, keeps me young. Trust me, my body reminds me that I wasn't 20 years old. Sidetrack here. The proof is I went from low hip cup, the low hip ride to high ride, and now I'm on the high rise. So, <laughs> so I am reminded and I am humbled that I am getting older. <laughs> so. That said, in Psalm 68, for those of you who have been divorced or are going through a tough separation and you are afraid of your future, I want to give you these words. I am a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows. Is God in his holy habitation? God gives the desolate a home in which to dwell. You will not be left homeless. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. Amen. I love that. And finally, when I grow up, I want to believe in miracles. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I am a living miracle. You didn't read me in a book. I've gone through a really tough time, but I've made it through. Even though I lost everything, God is true to his word, and he's restoring me. And I just want to encourage you this morning to remember these words. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Remember, time is nothing for God. It took Moses 40 years to be out in the, in the wilderness. Time is nothing to God. So for those who are new here or have never experienced church or you're just in your mind saying, so, okay, so like, all right, these are all good words. These are, well, where do I start? Where do I start? Where do I start? You start by opening up your heart this morning. Just open up your heart to the Lord. And then he'll show you.
but you have to come as a child.